good to be with you guys. What a, what a privilege to serve our Lord. What a privilege to serve our Lord. And I love being here as a weekly reminder, if you will, to get recalibrated and get our attentions and our affections and our minds focused on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ yet again. What a privilege we get to have to, to do this. And, and then especially on a, on a weekend or a Sunday that we can take of the Lord's Supper. I pray for you, the same as I pray for me, that each time we do it, it becomes that much more meaningful, that we understand it that much more. And I think our text for this morning is going to help us do that beautifully well. Before that, um, Pastor John sends his, sends his love. He's, uh, he's still as feisty as always, always causing trouble. He, uh, he, he's so cool, he took a self-video from Oregon to say how cool it was there, and he sent it on Monday when it was 105 down here. He's such a punk. I love that guy. And then he sends it to like a lot of people. Like He doesn't just pick a fight with one person. He picks a fight with lots of people. He's doing well. John and Kay send their love. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If you're visiting with us, it's good to be with you. We make a big deal about Jesus Christ. We make a big deal about His Word. And um, it's exciting. We love it. Let me give you a quick recap from what's going to happen today and what we did last week. And our passage for today, we're in the book of Mark and we're in chapter 14. In our passage for today, we're going to encounter the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus Christ. From last week, if you were here, you'll recall in Mark 14, we covered verses 1 through 31 last week. And from last week, we know that it's the time of the annual Passover and Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And and that Jerusalem at this time is about three to four times as many people in town as normal to celebrate this great time of celebration. We see uh, Mary anoint the body of Jesus with a very costly vial of perfume for his upcoming death and burial. We looked at Judas as he plotted and planned to betray our Lord. We witnessed Jesus sharing uh, the Passover meal with his disciples, and then he introduces for the first time the Lord's Supper, communion, if you will, as a moving forward discipline for the church, for us to remember and for us to celebrate, for us to give thanks for what Jesus has done for you and I, for our sins. We gasp and grieve that uh, last week that Jesus points out that all of his disciples will fall away and scatter. Perhaps we've been guilty of that too. But we also marvel and are humbled that upon his resurrection he will continue to shepherd his people. And he says that I will meet you, I will go ahead of you and meet you in Galilee. It reminds me of Isaiah 61.1 as where we're at in, in Passion Week of Mark's Gospel, Isaiah 61.1, where it's written of Jesus that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed him, as we saw last week when Mary anointed Jesus, to bring good news to the afflicted church. That's you and me. We're the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's you and that's me. To proclaim liberty to captives. That's you and that's me. And freedom to prisoners. That's you and that's me. And Jesus quotes this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Praise be to our God. That's a tall order. That verse is what happened on the cross. All those burdens that Jesus bore. Turn to Mark 14. We're in verses 32 through 52. Mark 14, verses 32 through 52. I'm going to read those. I'm going to share a little story, and then we're going to pray. Mark 14, starting in verse 32. They came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. 
And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Wow. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. Then he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for, for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will or desire. Not what I desire, Lord, but what you desire. Verse 37, And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went out, or he went away and prayed and said the same words as the first time. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they didn't know what to answer him. And then he came a third time, which means he went to pray a third time, because then he comes back a third time and says to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is here. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And after coming, Judas himself, Judas immediately went to, to Jesus saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. And a young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Let me open with this story, and then we're going to pray. John Sutherland Bonell shares this experience from World War II. He says there was a soldier who lay wounded um, on the battlefield and he had been given up for dead. As life slowly and painfully returned, he thirsted for water, but no one answered his cries. No one attended to his wounds. Mercifully, he slipped into unconsciousness. When he awoke, a chaplain was bending over him and says to the boy or to the soldier, you say, my boy, that you were wounded on Good Friday. You have been lying on the battlefield ever since. Do you know that this is Easter morning? <laughs> the soldier answered, How wonderful. For me too, it is like a resurrection. Out there on the field I died a thousand deaths. But somehow we do not mind the crucifixion when we are sure of the resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have been assured of the resurrection for us because it took place in your son who died and was resurrected for us. And we celebrate that this morning. But Lord, we celebrate that every day. What a joy, what a privilege to be part of your family. We thank you for what Christ has done for us. It's in his name we pray and everyone said. All right, so we have two stanzas for um, our time this morning. Um, the first 11 verses, 32 through 42. We're going to look at the grief the, the severe grief in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus went through. 
And then we're going to look at his boldness when he was betrayed in those last uh, 10 verses, 43 through 52. Okay, so two stanzas. In our first stanza, we're going to have five things we're going to talk about. So it's like, you know, basically 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, and 1E, right? And they all start with the letter C. And I didn't post it up there. I just didn't feel like it. Um, I don't even know why I said that. That's not true. I just didn't. So I'll give them to you, though, right? So the first one, uh, one of the elements I want to look at in these first 11 verses um, is 1A is let's, we're going to look at the condition of Jesus. Let's look at the condition of Jesus. That's our first C word. We're going to look at the condition of, of Jesus. Let's reread those verses um, again, 32 through 42. They came to a place uh, called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he takes with him what we call his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And he began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray. Oh, if it's possible that the hour might pass him by. Abba, Father, all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for an hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away a second time and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping. And they didn't know what to answer him. And then he came a third time, which again means he went away a third time to pray. And he comes back. Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hours come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed. Get up. Let us go. Behold, my betrayer is at hand. So this is the condition of Jesus. In verse 33, what does it tell us about his condition? It says that he's very distressed and troubled. Jesus is very distressed and troubled. In verse 34, it says that my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. I don't know that I've experienced my soul being that grievous. I've grieved, but I don't know that I've experienced grief to the point of death. And even going back in 33 when it says that he's, you know, verse 33 says he's not just distressed, but he's very distressed. And he's not just very distressed, he's very distressed and troubled. And he's not just grieving, he's deeply grieving. And he's not just deeply grieving, he's deeply grieving to the point of death. And then in verse 35, he falls to the ground. Jesus is in a rough, rough, rough place a place that none of us probably have ever been in before, as severe a place as anybody's ever been in. And that's what Mark wants us to hear. Most Jews, when Jesus fell to the ground to pray, most Jews prayed while they were standing. And so him prostrating himself is a gesture of extreme urgency and extreme anguish. Mark is attempting to use words that expressed the strongest possible form of anguish a person could go through. Have you ever experienced anguish or distress? Raise your hand if it's not just me. And sometimes when we're in a place of distress and anguish, the reality is we just don't think any, anybody can understand. We might even say to somebody, yeah, you, you just you wouldn't understand. I don't know if you can understand. I'm here to tell you you might be right. But there's somebody who can understand, and that's Jesus Christ. There's nothing that he hasn't gone through that he doesn't understand for us. It was the deepest form of distress and anguish any person has ever gone through. And he's here for us. Oh, thank you, Lord. There's hope, right? Yes. That was the first one. That was 1A. 1B. 
The second C, we're going to take a look at the cross of Jesus. Why was he in anguish? Why was he distressed? Well, we have to take a look at the cross, don't we? Jesus' struggle in the garden can be understood only in the light of what would happen to him on the cross. What's about to happen to him on the cross? Let's look. What does it tell us? It tells us, one, that he would be made sin. All of our sins. Heck, my sin's enough. My sin's enough for somebody to pay for my sin's alone. But all of ours in this room and outside of this room that he took to the cross, he would be made sin for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, the Lord made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, I pray that we take communion like we've never taken it before today. He would bear the curse of the law. That's the second thing. Not only would he be made sin for us, he would bear the curse of the law for us. Look at Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us. He paid a price from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Oh, may we take communion like we've never taken it before. Let's look at the third C, one C. Let's look at the commitment of Jesus. What do we know that Jesus knows is about to happen in a couple of hours? He's about to be betrayed, arrested, and crucified. He knows that. So what does he do? He knows that's about to happen. And what is, how does our stanza, verse 32, what does he do? It's the first thing he does. What does it say he does? I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go pray. He knows what's going to happen to him. And so he prays. Jesus commits himself to prayer. And he does so how many times in our text here? How many times did he go away to pray? Three times. For how long? Verse 37. How long? An hour. All three times he prayed an hour because it says when he went the second time, he said the same things he said the first time, and the first time it took him an hour. He went to pray three times for an hour each time. I've never prayed for three hours in a day. I've barely had days where I've prayed. I pray, and I'm praying more. And I'm getting more serious about my prayer life. I'm telling you, I am. i still got a long way to go. Jesus was serious about prayer because Jesus was serious about his mission. This is not a new thing for Jesus. This is not a new discipline for our Lord. Look, at Mark. Look how Mark starts his gospel. Go to chapter 1 of the book of Mark. In his very first chapter, Mark 1, verse 35, Mark points out in Mark 1, verse 35, that in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 46. Mark 6, verse 46. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. What Mark is telling us in Mark 1 and Mark 6 and Mark 14 and other places throughout his gospel is that Jesus prayed at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end of his ministry. He prayed at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end of his ministry. May we do the same. Mark is indicating to us that Jesus' life was characterized by prayer. In Mark 14, Jesus is facing a crisis. 
And he prayed. In Mark 1, he wasn't, but he prayed. In Mark 6, he wasn't, but he prayed. He prayed while in crisis. He prayed while not in crisis. Jesus prayed. The lives of his disciples should be characterized by prayer. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. And I'm sure many of you are too. So we see that Jesus, three times Jesus prayed about his upcoming fate. He knows the hour is upon him. He knows this cup that he has to take is upon him. All three times we see him yield to the Father's will. He prays for the Father to take it, but he says, your will be done, not mine. It reminds me of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul had a very similar prayer, church. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Seven through ten. What a great lesson for us. It just reminds me of this. When Paul's praying this way, it reminds me of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because of the, verse 7, 12, 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. For this reason, Paul writes, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And concerning this, which would make sense, I implored, I begged the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my power is perfected in your weaknesses, Paul. Most gladly, Paul writes, Therefore I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Can I get an amen? And so what Christ is telling us and what Paul is telling us is that we are to pray fervently. That's what we're supposed to do, to pray fervently. But we are to yield willingly. We are to pray fervently. And at the same time, as Christ did, and as Paul writes, we are to yield willingly. Mm. Okay, so check this out. Let's go back to, go back to Mark 14. I don't know exactly what I want to say. I, I kind of winged it. I don't know if that's a wung it, winged it. The last two ver- uh, services. I want, I want to take a look at verse 35 and 36 and then compare it to verse 38. We're going to look at 35, 36, and we're going to compare it to verse 38. So check out your Bibles, right? So Jesus went a little beyond them, and he fell to the ground. And he began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. He doesn't want to do what he's about to do in his flesh, right? It's intense stuff that's about to happen. So he says, if possible that the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Have we prayed thus far those, those words, something like that, right? Starting in 35 to that point in 36. But are we done? Do the words end there? Remove this cup from me. We know how to pray that first three quarters of those verses, don't we? Right? May this hour pass me by. All things are possible. Remove this cup from me. But Jesus is not done. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. We can do that first part, but it's hard for us to do that second part, isn't it? Now let's look at the comparison, if you will, or the contrast, verse 38, where Jesus says to to his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. Your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See the difference there? Their spirit's willing. There's so many things that we will to do in our spirit, but our flesh is weak. But he says that what's missing is keep watching, 
keep praying. Keep watching means be alert at all times. Understand God's word. Understand the enemy, that he's real. Be on your knees in prayer. That's the difference between verse 38 and 35 and 36 when Jesus says, yeah, I don't want to do this either, but not my will, but thy will be done. His spirit and his flesh were willing. And that's missing in verse 38. Keep watching and praying. Is your life, is my life, one of watching and praying? Jesus recognized the only way he can go to the cross and endure what he has to endure was to live a life of watching and praying, which is why when he knows what he knows, he drops to his knees and he prays. Oh, what a great lesson for us. Is your life a life of watching and praying? I hope so. I'm getting better, and I'm sure many of you are as well. 1D. Let's look at the companionship of Jesus. Let's look at the companionship of Jesus. Being perfectly human and about to experience great suffering, Jesus wanted companionship as he faced the cross. And so he selects Peter and James and John. And what are these three doing? <laughs> You're sleeping. You're taking a little nap. I get it, man. I, I, did I ask this already? Like, you know, praying for those three one-hour segments or praying for any length of time, right? Like, is anybody falling asleep? It's not just me, right? Please tell me it's not just me. We, we, our intentions are so pure. I'm going to carve out some time. I'm going to pray to the Lord. And all of a sudden, man, we are sawing logs, man. <laughs> right? And so what's interesting about that verse, when I go back to uh, 36, I knew I was missing something. Or, I'm sorry, verse 38. It's not good to quote verse 38 this way. Well, I tried, but you know the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Like, right? That verse isn't there as an explanation for our behavior. Like, well, I would have done better, but you know the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Bad, that's a bad scripture to quote in that context, right? That scripture is not an explanation. It's, it's not an excuse. It's an explanation as to why we stumble and why we fall. Because our spirit's willing, but our flesh is weak. And it takes a disciplined life we can fall from the Lord so quickly. And that's why we're to keep watching and keep praying. So the disciples are taking a little snoozer three times. And what's interesting is in verse 31, which we covered last week, remember what Peter's doing? He said he would die with his Lord. That's what he just told him in verse 31, and now he's taking three naps. It's kind of funny. It's like, Peter, you're cute. But you need to wake up, Right? God's saying, Peter, don't worry about dying for me. Just stay awake. <laughs> right? Like, start with the little stuff, Peter. Just stay awake. I don't know. I just, it's just so us, isn't it? We want to do great things for our Lord, and he says, just stay awake. It's like, if you guys stay awake during service, I want you to know you're doing great. These were the same men, Peter, James, and John. Check this out. They were the same men that accompanied Jesus, as Mark records. Listen to this. They accompanied Jesus, Peter, James, and John, accompanied him to the home of Jairus in Mark chapter 5. What was going on at Jairus' home? Does anybody remember? 
In Mark chapter 5, Jairus wanted Jesus to come and heal what? His daughter who had died. And he sends everybody out and he brings in Peter, James, and John. And raises Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5, verse 37. The second thing is, they, Peter, James, and John, accompany Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9. And then here we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus being accompanied by Peter, James, and John. And these three experiences, Jairus' daughter, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane, Paul writes about and references these experiences in Philippians 3. Check it out. Go to Philippians 3, 7 through 11. We're going to read all of those verses, but we're going to start with the key verse, which is Philippians um, 3.10. I just got to find it. Here's those three experiences. Jairus' daughter raising from the dead, the Mount of Transfiguration, and the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 10, Paul says that I may know Him. That's the Mount of Transfiguration where they saw Jesus for who He was and all of His power and all of His glory. That's the first part of verse 10, that I may know Him. Here's the second part. And the power of His resurrection, that's raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. And the third part, and the fellowship of His sufferings. Those three are modeling for us. And that's the Garden of Gethsemane. He's suffering in this garden, a deep anguish like never experienced before. And that's what it means. That's what they're leading us into, Peter, James, and John. So let's start at verse 7, because it kind of builds where Paul says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Oh, I hope that is true for us. More than that, I count everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We put so much value in other things, and Paul didn't, nor did Christ. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count those things but garbage. What do we do with garbage? We throw it away so that we may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith in what Jesus did for us. And that's the verse 10, that I, you and I, may know Him, the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death so that we may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Can I get an amen? Wow, it's a thing of beauty. Our last part in one... uh, The first stanza is 1E. We're going to take a look at the closeness of Jesus. The closeness of Jesus. What does Jesus call His Father in verse 36? Yeah. Abba. He calls Him Abba. Abba Father. Abba is an Aramaic word that means Papa or Daddy. And that sometimes is weird for us, right? To refer to our Lord as Papa or Daddy. My girls call me Poppy. That's what they call me. Hi, Poppy. It's an intimate, endearing term. You guys don't get to call me Poppy. Just want you to know that. My girls call me Poppy. I love that. And it's an intimate term. Sometimes, and this happens to me, it's still happening to me, we understand God's transcendence, that God's big and greater and above us, right? But we lose sight of God's imminence, His closeness to us. His nearness to us, His Emmanuel-ness, God with us, 
And that's what Jesus has when he calls him Abba, Father. It's an intimate relationship between Jesus and his Father. And that term, Abba, belongs to us as well because we belong to him. Check out Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15 says this, You, church, have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we collectively cry out, Abba, Father. I have my two daughters that my wife and I had. Those are our daughters. We've not adopted, but if we adopted, it would, it would, I would allow them to call me Poppy. Right? And say, no, that's not for you. You're not, right? They're adopted into my family. We're adopted into God's family. And so we collectively call him our Abba, Father, our Daddy. Galatians 4, 6 says the same thing. Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the Spirit into our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Many of us need that, don't we? Many of us need to have that close relationship with our Lord. And perhaps it's lacking for us, but don't give up. Continue to pursue the intimate relationship with our Lord. It's good that we have His transcendence, but I pray that we begin to experience His imminence as well, His nearness to us. But keep in mind, as our verses here show us in Mark 14. Closeness and intimacy with the Lord does not cancel out hardship, does it? doesn't cancel out hardship, but it allows us to get through it. It strengthens us to get through it, just as it did our Lord and Savior Jesus. So as we wrap up that stanza, that first stanza, in Jesus, we see a man committed to prayer and submitted to to the Father's will. He was committed to prayer, and therefore he was submitted to God's will. A few months back, I think I gave myself, did I say this already? I think I gave myself a, a C- minus in my prayer life. I'm upgrading myself to a B-, minus, just so you know. Yeah? Alright. I'm getting better. I'm taking prayer more serious. Because as I see Jesus' life, it's how he got through it. It's how he did what he did. It's how he accomplished great things for us. Because he was alert and he kept praying. He prayed at the beginning, in the middle, and the end of his ministry. He prayed at all times. He prayed without ceasing. And I'm realizing I need to do better at that. Our second stanza, Jesus' boldness in betrayal. Look at verses 43 through 52. Let's read those real quickly. Jesus' boldness in betrayal. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, comes up with a crowd He says, now he who was betraying him had given them a signal. Judas did. He says, whoever I kiss, he's the one. Get him. And after coming, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on Jesus and arrested him or seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but... (laughs) This is taking place to fulfill the scriptures, which you think would have stopped them, right? And they all left him and fled. And a young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Help me finish this saying. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. I don't know if I've shared it here. I think I've done it at men's breakfast, but I, I understand that saying. I just, it's flawed. Let me explain. It's, it's okay in some situations. 
Imagine if Jesus started poorly. Oh, it's not how you start, Jesus. It's how you finish. I think starting is incredibly important. I would not want to have started my marriage poorly. I'm glad I started my marriage well. I would want my kids to start their marriages well. I would want to start my jobs well. I would want to start any relationship well. There's many things I want to start well so it's sustainable, so that it ends well also. Look at verse 42. When we ended that stanza that we just finished, Jesus says, get up. Let's go. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. He didn't say, get up. Let's run. He jumped into the fire, man. He ended that stanza from verse 32 to 42 well, didn't he? Yeah, he ended well. How did he start? What did verse 32 say he did in verse 32? He prayed. Jesus knew that if he wanted to end well, he needed to start well. You get what I'm saying? What do you and I need to start well right now? What do we need to start well right now so that whatever God's going to do in our lives, we can finish well like Jesus did? Look in the moment in verse verse 43. Immediately while he's still talking, there they are. In the moment, Jesus knew they were there. That's what he said in 42. And sure enough, in 43, there they are. In the moment, man, he was bold because he was on his knees. Oh, I want to be like that so bad. While he was still speaking, there they were. And Jesus was like, bring it on, man. Oh, we need to take an inventory of ourselves and ask, how do we respond in the moment? And use that feedback to make corrections in our lives and say, in the moment, I don't do so great. Then start better. Take that moment and start better from that moment moving on. Amen? Does that make sense? Does that make sense, Neil? Yeah, all right. That's a joke between me and Neil from Men's Retreat. I was waiting to do that, Neil. So we need to take an inventory and see where we need to start better and grow in the Lord. The fact that Judas brought such a large group of armed men is evidence that neither he nor the religious leaders really understood who Jesus was. They thought that he would maybe try to escape or that his followers would put up a fight or that perhaps he might perform another miracle. And no wonder he's deeply grieved to the point of death. Look at verse 48. Jesus said to them, I mean, I don't know if he's laughing or crying or just befuddled. You've come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you as you would against a robber? Like, I'm not that guy. Mark 10, verse 45, we won't turn there, says that Jesus came to give his life as a sacrifice or as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I came to give and you're treating me like I've come to take? Like a robber? God is so good to us. His words, Jesus' words in verse 49 were proof that he's in control. It's fascinating to me. Every day I was with you, Jesus says. You didn't seize me when I was in the temple teaching. 
but this has taken place to fulfill the Scriptures. Now, right? You would think if they don't want the Scriptures to be fulfilled, if they don't want Him to be the Messiah, maybe this would be a good time to actually check the Scriptures to see if what they're about to do is going to take place, which is going to make Him the Messiah. It's time to, woo, it's crazy. God's in control. If they don't want Him to be the Messiah, then not fulfilling Scripture might be a good place to start. Jesus points out that what they're doing fulfills prophecy. If these people had believed their own scriptures, they might have hesitated or even changed their minds. But they don't even hear him when he says what he says in verse 49. When we're not right in our heart, we just don't hear. We just don't hear. So like David says, renew and right, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me so that we can hear correctly. Our hearts are so twisted at times. They don't even hear him. John 18.10 tells us that it was Peter who drew his sword and cut off the ear of a slave named Malchus. And that was foolish on Peter's part. Why? Because scripture tells us, church, that we do not fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. And that's sometimes where we get it wrong. And that's what Jesus is showing us. He fought, he fought spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. Check out 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. Yes, 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 though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And that's how Jesus is fighting his fight today in our text, in our passage. I fought too many battles in the flesh, spiritual battles in the flesh. It doesn't really work, man. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm just, I'm just a slow learner, apparently. But I'm getting better, and I know you guys are too. At the end of our passage, we see, at the end of our, our passage for today, those last few verses, that the disciples in verse 50, they all left Jesus and fled. And so did an unknown young man who came into the garden and witnessed the arrest. It's not certain who this person is, but the traditional view is that this was probably John Mark, or Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. It's also known as John Mark. Mark is the only one of the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that records this event. And it's just meant to believe that it's kind of like putting your signature in the corner of your painting, if you will. That's the only. So don't make too much of that. But we do know that the disciples were scattered, and the servant is now alone. Jesus is alone. Oh, the anguish of what awaited him. And now he must endure it alone. I've been there. I've had anguished moments over my life. Have you ever been in that place? Those places of anguish. No one's been in that place more than Jesus. And that's the place right there. He's gone. Everybody's gone. Deep, deep anguish. And yet we can cry out to our Lord. He gets it. And He's our advocate, Scripture says. Hmm. Let me close with this verse. John 16, 32 says this. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, Jesus says. Each to his own home and to leave me alone. But praise be to God, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Church, we're never alone. We're never alone. May we continue to do a good job of being there for one another, but we are never alone. We're going to go into a time of communion, and this is what we're going to do. Um, 
the first minute, Brian's just going to play instrumental. Just a minute, minute and a half. Just to have a time of quiet reflection. And then we'll open up the communion tables after that. Does that make sense? Let me pray. And they're going to lead us in communion. And then our a prayer team will be available after the service if you need them down here in the corner. Let's pray. God, we are so incredibly grateful for the gift of your Son. May we today, in every step moving forward, have a deeper understanding of what you did on the cross. Thank you, Lord, through the Gospel of Mark that we have a deeper sense of the anguish that you took to the cross. And we thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Everyone said, Amen.